Uh, well, good evening, everyone. Great to see you. Uh, my name is uh, my name's uh, Kevin. So we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, looking through uh, Psalm uh, 99 together. Uh, but before we do, uh, how about again I lead us in prayer and ask for God's help. Uh, Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the great privilege we have to meet together as your people. And Father, we pray now as we come to hear your word, that Father, we might know you truly as you have revealed yourself to us, and that, Father, we might know ourselves rightly in light of you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, I want to start with a, with a question. Okay, It's going to come up on the screen. I'll just give you a minute to, uh, to think about it. The question goes like this. As you continue in life, do you feel more or less sinful? So as the, the years roll on, uh, perhaps as you grow as a Christian, do you feel more or less sinful? Right? I'll just give you a, a couple of moments just to think by yourself and then we'll come back together. So have a think. Okay, hope that's enough time for you to think. Give me a time for cough as well, but anyway. But hopefully, uh, as you think through, or at least begin to think through how you might answer that question, I hopefully also see that it's a really important question. Because the way we think about how to answer this question reveals a lot about how we see ourselves in relationship to God. And so if we want to understand a question like this rightly, we need to first start with God. And we need to understand who he is. And that's what we're going to do as we look at Psalm 99. In particular, we'll see, as the title of the psalm reminds us, we'll see that the King, God, we see that he is holy. And there's no doubt, it would be great if you look at Psalm 99 there in, in the Bible, you'll see that the fact that God is holy, that is quite clearly a theme of the psalm. And you can see that phrase, he is holy, comes up a number of times and in fact it divides the psalm into a a number of sections right so verse one to three the first section or stanza of the psalm how's it end he is holy right the first section verse four and five the second section how does it end he is holy verse six to nine the third section a little bit different but it says for the lord our god is holy So in this psalm, the psalmist, the author, wants to show us, well, that God is holy. In each of the sections, he he shows us a sort of an aspect of that. So we'll go through each section in turn, and then we'll come back to think about how we might answer this question. All right, so let's get started in verse 1. It says, The Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. I don't know about you, but just reading that first sentence comes as a little bit of surprise, doesn't it? I mean, you would think it would say, the Lord reigns, let the peoples rejoice or let the peoples be glad, right? But no, have a look. It says, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. And I think we sort of see part of the reason for this in the rest of the verse. Because the psalmist then puts before us this this image of a throne room where God himself uh, is sitting on the throne. Look there, verse 1. He, the Lord, he is enthroned above the cherubim. 
let the earth quake. Now when you uh, hear the word uh, cherubim or or cherub, uh, your first thought for for many people is kind of like a, a cute little angel, right? But, but that's really not what's on view here. No, that the cherubim, they were kind of like the, the warriors of heaven, right? So if you remember back in the book of Genesis, Adam and Eve, they're sent out of the garden. And it's the cherubim, they're the ones who are placed to guard the entrance. Uh, there's also a, a flaming sword there as well, which is pretty cool. But anyway, the, the cherubim, right? They're, they're the warriors. But the focus is not on them, is it? But on God. He is the one who is enthroned. In fact, the first section of the psalm, it's all about showing us the majesty of God or or the glory of God, showing us that he is powerful. And you see that theme continues, in fact, in verse 2. Yahweh is great in Zion. He is exalted above all the peoples. Now, Zion, sorry, Zion, just another name for Jerusalem, right? That the city, really the the centre of, of the nation of Israel. And of course, it's no surprise, is it, that, that Yahweh, the, the, the God of all, well, he should be great amongst his people in the nation of Israel. But you notice how the psalm goes further than that. It says, he is exalted above all the peoples. He's not simply the God of Israel. No, he is the God who reigns over all. More rightly, I think we could describe the the first section of the psalm as showing us the universal majesty of God, that he is the one who reigns over all. But you see the implications then, verse 3, look there, verse 3. Let them, let all the peoples, let everyone, let them praise your great and awe-inspiring name. He is holy. You see how the psalmist calls on everyone, people from every nation, to praise the great name of this God. But we have to see, friends, that this really stands in contrast to our world, to to the culture that surrounds us. See, in the world around us, well, people love the idea of relativism, right? That there's, there's many different truths. Many different ways of doing life. And so it's just a matter of well, choosing what works for you. Right? But do you see how this psalm stands against that? It's saying, no, no, there is one true God, one majestic one. And the psalmist calls on everyone to praise his great name. Of course, it's confirmed for us in the New Testament as well. I mean, the Lord Jesus famously said, John fourteen six. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You can see how the Bible really pushes against relativism. It says, look, no, no, there's one God, one true God over all. And the only way to know this God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, a great encouragement for us, isn't it? An encouragement to keep persevering with the task of mission. We know in Australia, we live in a country of many nations. As we walk about in our local community, we see people from all different places, different languages, different religions. And yet the Bible's clear. If they want to know the one true God, they can only know him through the Lord Jesus. I think a challenge for us to to keep persevering in the task of mission 
It can be hard to reach people who are different to us. But we want to see every person, no matter where they're from, come to trust in the Lord Jesus. But you see how the first section of the psalm finishes in verse 3. finishes with the refrain, He is holy. Right? Remember this, this psalm, it's all about showing us who God is, in particular, well, that He is holy. So when the psalmist is talking about the universal majesty of God, well, that's an aspect of what makes God holy, right? See, to be holy is to be different. It's to be set apart. And that's what we see in the first section, isn't it? That, that God, he is the powerful one. And he is different to, to us, right? He's the creator and we are the creatures. There's a big difference. And it's really important, I think, that we come to terms with this. Because one of the things that you'll hear as you talk to people in our world is you'll hear people say this, right? They'll say, I like to think of God as... And then they fill in the blank, right? I like to think of God as, well, as a loving God. I like to think of God as... Well, as a God who accepts everyone. I like to think of God as, well, kind of a bit like my granddad, right? Whatever it is. But can you see, friends, how foolish that is? Because what that is, is it's starting with ourselves, the creature, and then kind of projecting that up to God. My friends, if we want to know God as he truly is, well, he's revealed himself to us in the person most profoundly of the Lord Jesus, revealed to us in the pages of scriptures. And I think for us as Christians, it's really important that we don't also fall into this trap. We need to know God as he's revealed himself to be. And in fact, if we want to understand ourselves rightly, we need to first understand our creator. And only then can we see what it is to be a creature. So the first section of the psalm, in verse 1 to 3, it shows us the universal majesty of God. And that's part of what it means for God to be holy. But let's look then at the second section of the psalm, so verse 4 and 5. Uh, verse 4, it says, The mighty king loves justice. You have established fairness. You have administered justice and righteousness in Jacob. I think uh, verse 4 is really interesting, isn't it? The, the, the mighty king, the powerful one, loves justice. And we don't often see power and justice come together, do we? Often in our world, you know, we, it seems that the ones who have power aren't always that interested in justice. And the ones who really thirst for justice can often feel powerless to act. But you see how it's different with God. He, well, he is the powerful one. He is the mighty king. And he is the one who loves justice. And this is part of, of what it is for God to be holy. That he is the one who is just. He is the one who is pure. He is the one who is upright, moral. Right in the words of the psalm, he's the one who's established fairness. He is the one who administered justice and righteousness in Jacob, 
in the nation of Israel. This is what it is for our God to be holy. But you notice how the psalmist responds in verse 5. Look there, verse 5. Exalt the Lord our God, bow in worship at his footstool. He is holy. So again, the psalmist brings us back to that image of the throne room. Right? And we, imagine, we imagine God, Yahweh, sitting there on the throne. And before him is a footstool right, to rest his feet. And, and where is our place as creatures? Well, we bow in worship at his footstool. The, the psalmist, I think, is, is really kind of trying to put us in our place, isn't he? He's saying, look, you can't approach God as equals. No, he is, he is the powerful one. He is the glorious one. And us, well, we are the creatures. But there's more to it, isn't it? It's not just that, that God is glorious and we're not. No, it's that God is holy. As we see in the second section, he, he, he is just. He is moral. He is right. And if we're honest with ourselves, friends, we know that we're not, right? We fall short. We know that we are unholy. And so quite clearly then, for us as unholy people, we have no right to to waltz into the presence of our holy God. So putting it together in the second section of the psalm, it shows us the powerful justice of God. Well, that brings us then to uh, the third and final section of the psalm, so verse uh, 6 to 9. And the psalmist starts here by by talking about some uh, some big kind of names from the Old Testament. So look there uh, with me at verse 6. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those calling on his name. They called to Yahweh and he answered them. Now Moses and Aaron, they're from the sort of very beginning of the the history of the nation of Israel. It was through Moses that that God rescued his people from Egypt in the Exodus. And Aaron, that was his brother, the the spokesman for uh, uh, for Moses and also the first priest. So two kind of big hitters, I guess, from the Old Testament. And then we have Samuel. He comes a little bit later. He was the, the last judge and the first prophet. It was through, through Samuel that the kingship was established. But while we're reminded of these very kind of important figures, the focus really is on God, isn't it? And his faithfulness. In, in verse 7, they, Moses, Aaron and Samuel, they, they called to Yahweh and he answered them. The, the third section of the psalm, sorry, the third section of the psalm shows us the, the faithfulness of God, right? that he is reliable, he is trustworthy. But while the focus is on God, well, these three men are also given as examples to us. Look there, verse 7. So he, Yahweh, spoke to them in a pillar of cloud. They, Moses, Aaron and Samuel, they kept his decrees and the statutes he gave them. See, God had spoken to Moses and given him the law. That's what we find in, in, in the Old Testament. And we're reminded in this psalm, in fact, these, these men are put forward as an encouragement as those who, well, kept these decrees and statutes. 
For Hebrews chapter 11, Moses and Samuel are then the great heroes of faith. They're meant to be an encouragement for us to see the way that they, well, they trusted God and were obedient to him. But as great as they are and as great encouragements they are, I hope they do encourage you. What comes in verse 8 really comes as quite a shock. And it really kind of seems to jar with the flow of the psalm. Bit of a turning point, I think. Verse 8, look there. Lord our God, you answered them. Right? God is faithful. You were a forgiving God to them, an avenger of their sinful actions. Do you notice that last line? The psalmist is saying that God is the avenger, that he will hold to account these three men for their sinful actions. It's quite remarkable, isn't it? Quite a surprise in the psalm. And a reminder that these three men, Moses, Aaron, and Samuel, as encouraging as they are, they are not perfect. They are marred by sin. And God will hold them to account for the way that they have lived. And yet the psalmist isn't writing this so we could sort of just point the finger at them. No, it's for us as readers to be reminded that God will hold us to account. For the way that we have lived. That he will be an avenger of our sinful actions. And of course the reality is, friends, if we're honest, well, we don't love God with all our heart. We don't love our neighbor as ourselves. And so rightfully we deserve God's condemnation. Rightfully we deserve to face his anger. And I think verse 8 actually helps us understand verse 1. The end of the psalm helps us understand the beginning. See verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the peoples tremble. The peoples, the unholy peoples, they tremble before a holy God. But then do you notice how the psalmist finishes? Again, a bit of a surprise, I think, in the psalm, having just made this very kind of somber point about about God's judgment Well, verse 9, he then ends in praise. Look there, verse 9. He says, Exalt the Lord our God, bow in worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. And I think the key to sort of understanding what's going on here is to do a bit of a spot the difference, right, between verse 5 and verse 9. Have a look at the two verses. They, They seem similar, don't they, right? But there's some differences. Verse 5, it says, bow in worship at his footstool. Verse 9, bow in worship at his holy mountain. The holy mountain is a reference to Jerusalem, the holy city, the place of the temple. See, in God's kindness, he'd chosen the nation of Israel, an unholy people. But he said that he would dwell amongst them. That he would be a holy God amongst an unholy people through the temple. That was the place that they were to meet. And that was the point of all the animal sacrifices, wasn't it? That was to to remind the nation of Israel that they were unholy and they come before a holy God. So that's why the psalmist can still rejoice then because he knows the temple. 
But of course, the reality is, for us as Christians, things are different, aren't they? The, the psalmist is writing this before the coming of Jesus. And so for us, living after the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, well, we know that things have changed. I mean, that's the whole point of Hebrews chapter 4, isn't it? That Jesus is now a great high priest. Later on in Hebrews, it talks about he, he offered himself once for all a, a sacrifice to take away the penalty for our sin. It's because of Jesus' death that we can know the forgiveness of God. It's because of Jesus' death that we, as unholy people, can come before a holy God. But it's, it's not just that we can meet with God. Remember Hebrews chapter 4? It said that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. That we can boldly come before the throne of Yahweh, the, the one who rules over all. But it's more than that, isn't it? I mean, the book of Romans talks about well, how we can call God Abba, Father. That we can be part of his family, we can be adopted, that, that Jesus can be the firstborn among many, that we can be counted as the children of God. See, coming back to the psalm, as we, as we read this as Christians, I think we're meant to grow in our understanding of the God who made us. In particular, we're meant to see that he is holy. We're meant to see that the universal majesty of God, the, the powerful justice of God, the faithfulness of God. And we are to know that he is holy. So having thought a little bit about well, who God has revealed himself to be, we can come back to the question then I raised at the beginning. Here it is again, as, as you continue in life, do you feel more or less sinful? Now, I hope uh, at least part of you wants to say less, right? You feel less sinful than when you first became a Christian because you feel more godly, right? I mean, one of the things we know as Christians is that, well, we're saved by grace, by what God has done, yes, in Jesus. But then God calls on us to grow, right? To say, to say no to, to sinfulness, and to say yes to, well, living more like Jesus. And one of the really encouraging things of our congregation is we see that, don't we, right? We see the way that people are growing, how they're putting off sin and living lives that please God. I mean, one of the, one of the great joys of a pastor, I think, is you get to see that even more than perhaps others. And it's so encouraging to see that, well, across each of our congregations. Now, we're not perfect, of course. But it's encouraging to see the way people are putting off sin and living like Jesus. So while we kind of want to say less, I think the answer, sorry, the answer more rightly must be more. That as we grow as Christians, we should feel more sinful. But it's not so much got to do with us, but with God. See, I trust that as you grow as a Christian, as you continue in life, that you come to know more and more about who God is. 
that you come to know more and more and more truly that he is holy. I mean, that was kind of the whole point of our Mark series, right? What was the tagline? Anyone remember our Mark series? Yeah, our amazing Lord. That's right. We, we spent a lot of time going through Mark's gospel, didn't we? But what we wanted to do together was to be amazed at the Lord Jesus. For our picture of him to sort of grow and grow as we looked at each section of Mark. And Jesus is the one who reveals to us God. So I trust that since you first become a Christian, that your, your picture, your understanding of God has grown and grown. And even more, you praise him for, for how great, how wonderful he is. But of course, the reality is, friends, as our picture of God grows, we become even more aware of our own reality, the reality of our sin. And the way that we fall short. And so as we grow as Christians, I think rightly, we should feel more sinful. And yet, friends, that should not lead us to despair, should it? I mean, of course, we should feel sorrow at our sin. But rather than despair, it should lead us to well, to rejoicing, right? Rejoicing in, in the wonder of the good news of Jesus. Rejoicing knowing that Jesus came, that he, he willingly died in our place to bring us the forgiveness we so desperately need. See, friends, for us as Christians, as we, as we grow in our awareness of our sin, we should delight even more in the wonder of the gospel. I see, think of the psalmist. He's, he's writing this before Jesus was around. And as he reflects on the holiness of God, how does he respond? Well, well he praises God, right? Verse 9, look again, verse 9. He says, Exalt the Lord our God. Bow in worship at his holy mountain for the reason the Lord our God is holy. See, for us as Christians, as we live after that the coming after the life, after the death, after the resurrection of Jesus. Well, friends, surely we know even more the holiness of our God. We see God even more clearly through the Lord Jesus. And of course, we know the wonder of forgiveness that comes in the gospel. So friends, how much more should we bow in worship of our God. But of course we don't worship him at the temple. In other words, Romans chapter 12 reminds us we worship by well, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. By bringing every area of our life under his lordship. So in a moment I'm going to pray for us. And pray well, that we would know God rightly. That we would grow in our picture of who he is. In particular, tonight, we would know that he is holy. And pray that as we become even more aware of our sin, that we would, that we would know, we would rejoice, we treasure the wonderful gift of forgiveness. And that in light of all these things, that we'd seek to worship God. That we'd present our bodies as a living sacrifice. So how about I'll lead us in prayer in these things.
Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the great joy that it is to meet together as your people tonight. And Father, we pray day by day as we read your word that we would see you for who you are, that our picture, our understanding of you would grow. And particularly, Father, we pray that we would see that you are holy. Help us, Father, to see that clearly as you reveal to us in your word. And yet, Father, as we see you, we know, Father, how much we fall short. We know even more the reality of our sin. Father, you know the reality of our sin. Father, we're sorry for this. Father, may we continue to trust in the forgiveness that comes in the Lord Jesus. May we hold fast to this. And Father, may we worship you. May we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. May we bring every area of our life under the lordship of our Saviour and God, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me keep reading to you from Psalm 103. If you remember, we've realised that men, mankind, men and women, we are like grass. We fade away as the sun rises. And the psalmist says this, But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is towards those who fear him and his righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. So vapour, things that disappear straight away. And then we have this phrase, from eternity to eternity. Knowing God, we then know ourselves. But rather than despair, we are able to rejoice. Why? As Kevin just said before, because of God's faithfulness in Christ. We're about to sing two songs. I know, right? It's massive. That means there's going to be four songs in the service. Contain your excitement. Um, the first one actually celebrates the faithfulness of God. The second one is the response. What was the response? Praise. Uh, it's a simple song, the second one, just like a little kind of chorus. We fall down and we cry out holy. Now, it would be so awesome if those two songs blended together in some sort of cool musical goodness and we just kind of flowed through, but apparently Pete's got to change his capo on, on the guitar. I don't know what a capo is. I reckon he's just making it up, hey? Anyway... <laughs> Point being, notice the movement. We declare God's faithfulness, we fall down in worship at his holiness. Will you stand, will you sing? <laughs> 